As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 248 of the Wayne's Comics podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Anybody who's listened to this podcast in the past knows what a big fan I am of historical storytelling. And this week I talk with Travis Horseman, the driving force behind a wonderful series of graphic novels called Amiculous, A Secret History. The first two volumes I picked up at the Space Convention up in Columbus, Ohio this year. And I finally get a chance to talk with him during his Kickstarter, which is going on now. We'll talk about that during the interview and give you information as to how you can participate and support this book. It's a great series of graphic novels, and he does some wonderful storytelling that makes this story come alive in a way that not every historical book does. So I give him a lot of credit for that. We talk about volumes one and two and how they lead into this new volume, the third book. We also talk about the characters and what he has in store for us in the future. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. and welcome to the culmination of the Amiculous Trilogy. In Volume 1, we discovered the secret history of the boy Emperor Romulus, saying that Rome didn't fall so much as it was pushed by a shadowy figure known only as Amiculus. In Volume 2, we delve deeper into the history, learning key secrets of characters' pasts, including Amiculus himself. In Volume 3, the barbarians are at the gates, and Amiculus stands ready with the key. But even in death, Rome is a deadly enemy. Will Amiculus stand triumphant in its ruins, or will he become its final victim? From the private journals of Procopius of Caesarea. Sixty years ago, I must find Romulus. My friend, he is a fiction. He destroyed our armies. Fun we once had. Have you ever heard? No! Who is Amiculus? From the secret history of Emperor Romulus Augustulus. They say the world is falling apart. Time all that holds it together. They're wrong. It isn't falling apart. It's being torn apart. 
I am monster. What is this you have given me to read, Abbot? It is what you wanted, historian. Rome's armies can't stop him. Our walls can't keep him out. This is blasphemy. No, it is truth. And I can do nothing but watch and wait as he comes from me. the fire down on my men. They're all dead because of him. This little ghost is laughing at you! Death is too good for any of you! My lord, it's Amiculus. We have him. was a disgrace. It's good that he's gone. It's good that he's gone. It's great to welcome to the podcast Travis Horseman, creator of a wonderful series called Amiculous, A Secret History. The third volume is about to come out, at least the Kickstarter is going on it. How are you doing today, Travis? Doing great. Thanks so much, Wayne. It's a really fascinating book. I love books about history, and even like your book sort of blends in a little bit, and you're kind of extrapolating what happens according to history, which I really love. Why don't we get right to the essentials, because it's really important. Your Kickstarter is going on. Do you want to give us a little information about the Kickstarter? Absolutely. Well, Kickstarter is currently going on now until October 15th. It ends midnight on uh, Saturday, October 15th. We are looking to fund actually both volume three of the series, plus we are also combining all three volumes into an omnibus that we're going to be providing to Kickstarter supporters only at this point. I don't plan to actually publish that for at least another year or two, but ideally to finish the series and also to offer that to uh, supporters. Mm -hmm. You said one's going to end. Can you give us an idea like some of the benefits that you're offering and what's the goal that you're after? Well, my goal is, the actual goal is $17,150. This is to cover mainly art creation costs, paying the creative team, the cost of production of the books, shipping, that sort of thing. And some of the rewards that are involved with this, like I said, one of them, one very popular reward actually, is the Amiculous Omnibus, which is the full 200-page story all in one book. We are offering it as the three parts. Some people like that. But we are offering the 200-page full omnibus of all three books with its own original cover art. Plus, in addition to that, we are offering poster-sized pages of art, signed scripts, and two very popular ones are the Amiculize Me level, which allows you as a backer to be drawn as a character from the series. Mm -hmm. And there's also, of course, you know, an option to be drawn into the book as a character itself, an actual character from history or a character who's created for the narrative. So those are some of the things that are being offered. Mm-hmm. Now, you start off really well, in my understanding. But first three days, you got how much money? It'd probably be easier to say in the first week, we managed to raise 36% of mm-hmm. our total goal. Very good. 
it has, you know, like all Kickstarters do, hit the doldrums a little bit. We're slowed down. We're eager to just sort of prime that pump a little bit, get that momentum back up. Mm-hmm. But I feel confident. I mean, I have been in the same situation twice before, and it's always come through. So I feel confident that this will succeed as well. Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, as we're recording this, you have uh, over 140 backers. You've got right around $6,500. And so by the time this airs, it's probably going to change some, hopefully go up uh, quite a bit. But that's where we are right now. So it, it's looking pretty good as far as Kickstarters go. And I'm, like you said, you've got experience with this, so you know what to expect. And I'm glad I can help promote this thing because it's a really interesting book. I think that I got these books from you, and I got volumes one and two in paper form. I think it was at I think it was Columbus, Ohio. I think it because it was in the uh, small press expo that they had in a space. Yes, yes, uh, at uh, space. Yeah, but that would be back in April. Yeah. Yeah, and I got this book from you, and I really liked it, and I was really glad to be able to read it. Like as I said before, I'm really big into historical comics because I learn mm-hmm. things from them, and and you know, there's that what people consider a four-letter word, learning. Which I always, I think that rare books can really teach us a lot. And I always talk about the fact that when I was a kid, I used to read early Justice League in which Gardner Fox would teach me science. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was young, I would read about, oh, this is, there's different kinds of elements and things like that involved. And I would just come away going like, you know, the, the teacher would say, how did you learn that? Well, that's because the atom went to the micro world and then the micro world, he discovered all these different atoms. And, you know, the teacher was like, what? But the thing is, <laughs> I learned that stuff from them. That was not only learned reading, I could speak at a high school level when I was in like third grade. Yeah. Like most people, they couldn't fathom how that happened. But it was just a wonderful thing. And that's the thing with your book. You're doing some really interesting things with history. I'm just fascinated by it. In the back word of the, in the uh, end at the first book, and of course you lose Latin all over the place, which I, you know, I always get a kick out of and I can never pronounce it properly. And I, I imagine you will. But you talk about the not so secret history and there's like one paragraph that all these wonderful stories blossom out of. How'd that happen? How did it come to be like that? Well, if you don't mind, actually, I think it might be useful to people if I give a really brief description of what the book is about. Oh, sure. Well, essentially, Amiculus, a secret history, is set during the fall of the Roman Empire, the Western Roman Empire. And one of the things a lot of people don't know is that the last emperor of the Western Roman Empire was actually a 12-year-old boy named Romulus who was being controlled like a puppet by his father. And the idea for this book is that uh, what if Rome didn't in fact fall as we think, but was in fact pushed by a mysterious figure from the shadows, and only this emperor, this young boy, he's the only one who knows the real story, and this is his history of how Rome actually was torn down by this mysterious figure, sort of doing a V for Vendetta on the Roman Empire. Okay. And there's a one little paragraph, like I was saying, at the back. Uh, it's Ex Libris Amicula, I think it was. And should I read the paragraph? Because I kind of find it interesting. Oh, go right ahead. Because oh, okay, the paragraph says, in AD 475, the Roman general Flavius Orestes, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, over, right. overthrew the Western Roman emperor Julius Nepos and placed his 12-year-old son Romulus on the throne. A year later, Orestes' partner, the German chieftain Odacer, turned against him and the two went to war. Odacer destroyed the Roman army, executed Orestes, and forced Romulus to surrender his crown, ending the empire in the west. Romulus was exiled and soon disappeared from history. And all this, these three volumes are based on that paragraph. 
where did the idea come from to, to ex extrapolate this stuff and to fill it out? And is Amiculous really a real character, or is this kind of a literary thing that you're doing to tell the story? Well, I can actually answer both of those. The thing that really intrigued me about this, among other things, was how brief and how lacking in detail this history of the fall of Rome actually was. In our minds, you know, the fall of Rome was such a huge thing. Mm -hmm. But in most histories, in most recounting of it, there's almost nothing to it. It's very brief, like a paragraph maybe is as much as you'll get about the events, about as much as people cared about it at the time. They didn't realize the impact of what happened. And so there's a lot of detail in there that wasn't recorded or was lost, and it leaves tremendous opportunity for uh, – let's say mischief, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that made me think about it is that what if there's a story within this brief paragraph that we don't know, that we weren't allowed to know, you know? And what if the person who knows it is the one who dis... I mean, like I said, Romulus disappeared. Nobody even knows when he died. <laughs> that is a very tantalizing thing. What if he is the one who contains the secret of what really happened? It's speculative history. Let's say that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a speculative attempt to sort of fill in those gaps and create a really tantalizing story about, well, you know, maybe Rome didn't die with such a whimper after all. Mm -hmm. Which is cool. It's a wonderful thing about that. The one thing I really loved about the book particularly is the way that you make history breathe. You know, some historical stuff is real dry. I mean, really dry. I have read some historical stuff that I couldn't get through because it was so slow and so dry. But your book is really fascinating because you bring the characters to life. You know, Romulus comes to life. He does things that we feel about that are happening to him. You know, he's sitting in a throne room and there's a statue behind him. And he has to relate to the whole business of what the statue means. And then there's other generals and other people keep interacting, and you start to understand a little bit why Rome fell mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on how they interacted. You talked about in one of the places about all the research you had to do for this book, and it took a long time to get all this information together for you. How long did it take from the concept all the way through until you started writing the script? Well, I've been thinking about this script for a long time. I initially wrote it as a short play in college and then sort of left the idea sitting for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. I absorbed probably like a library's worth of research on this. I went to Rome and did site work, taking pictures, getting the lay of the land. I really wanted, like you said, I wanted it to breathe. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I got the view of things from historians at the time it was happening. And really the thing is, the attitude of most of them is, eh, and then it was only later, like this was no big deal. And then later it's like, wow, I didn't realize what happened at the time. Mm -hmm. None of them realized the impact of what happened at the time. Mm -hmm. And all told, it took me about, I mean, before really getting into production with an artist and everything, mm -hmm. I spent about three or four years working on this script. <laughs> wow. That's just something most comic scripts get written in like in a week. Which is sort of funny because, you know, you'll have a person, they write a monthly comic, and it usually takes like about a week. And you know, that varies from person to person. So you really invested in the project. What was it about this project that got you so interested in doing this? Was there some sort of background connection? Did, you, did your family come from there? I'm just kind of interested what it was about this that actually attracted you to the whole project. Well, I mean, I have been fascinated with the classics, with ancient Greece and Rome. I read my first book of Greek myths when I was like six or seven, and it was really easy for me to get involved in that world because, I mean, like the Greek gods and the Roman gods, they reminded me of superheroes, you know? Mm -hmm. That was my key in. I mean, really, they apply very well to comic books. But 
I guess the thing that really, the emotional hook for me for that story was Romulus and the relationship to his father. Mm -hmm. Even with the really limited amount of information that you get, there's no way that that relationship can be anything good. It can't be anything other than an abusive relationship. And it was like Romulus got a really raw deal. Mm -hmm. You don't even get to hear his version of things. You don't get any sense of who he is. Like I said, that was a really enticing thing was to give him a voice, not just to give him a voice, but to give him the voice of the truth. Wow. So that's an amazing thing because you look at history and like I said, some people look at this stuff as it's really not all that interesting, but you really make things come alive. And I love that. And one of the things I wanted to also bring up before we dive into a lot more about the characters and the books was the choice of artists. You picked a guy who's from Rome, if I'm not mistaken. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you came together with him and how the project, how he got involved? That was a complete accident. (laughs) We met over LinkedIn Actually, it was a friend of mine, a comic creating friend of mine, who first pointed him out to me. LinkedIn has various groups for comic creators and writers where they can come together and potentially collaborate on a project. And I was like, hey, I loved his art. His art was amazing. He's got a website. (laughs) This may be hard to... His name is Giancarlo Caracuzzo. And his website information is actually embedded in my website, so you could check it out there if you ever want to. But yeah, I sent him... I mean, I contacted him and I said, hey, I really love your work. I have a treatment that I'd like to send you. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty busy, but uh, yeah, just send it over. And I sent it. And not even like a day and a half later, he got back to me and said, I love this. When do we start working? Mm-hmm. At which point I was like, holy crap, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I'd never done anything before. Right. This is the first thing I've ever done. Oh, really? I was going to ask, is this your first project? Because it doesn't feel like it. It flows real naturally. It has a sense of what makes a good comic to it. And that's in both volumes that I've seen so far. And also, I had a chance to see the cover, proposed cover for Volume 3. So, did you do any sort of preparation to write the script? How did you get up to speed on writing comics? (laughs) That was part of my research, actually. It wasn't just doing research on the subject matter. It was doing research on the entire field. I mean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is going to be ridiculous, but the very first book I ever read on comics was Making Comics for Dummies, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And that was actually a really good elementary primer, I think. And then I studied the way, I mean, my influences when it comes to writing and especially writing comics, I love the work of Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, more recently Mike Carey. I just love the way they write because... The style that I try to evoke is I like their way of creating characters and writing characters. That's the kind of characters I want to write. Mm. Wow. You're emulating the greats, sounds like to me. So that's a good choice. You know, it's always good to look at the people who do it well and then kind of emulate what they do. So very good stuff. One of the things I also liked about it, too, was that you don't hold back on the action. I want to say the word violence, but the action is very good. There's a a lot of war going on and we get to see bodies strewn all over the place because that's the way war is, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed the realistic way in which you portrayed a lot of what was happening. Was that intentional on your part? Did you want to communicate what actually took place as much as you could? Well, I mean, for me, it's like you said, a lot of historical things. I mean, the problem that I have with a lot of historical things, a lot of historical entertainment is that it is either really dry, like you say, in an attempt to be accurate, or it is really, it's action packed, but it's completely wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And to me, one of the best marriages of exciting 
and accurate is the HBO series Rome, hmm. actually. Hmm. And they take liberties, there's no question, but the, it feels right. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. And a lot of it is very accurate. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things I take liberties with with this history. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I do create some things out of the air, but I want to make sure that it feels right. And uh, in order to do that, I mean, life was nasty, brutish, and short at this point, especially the brutish and nasty part. And I mean, I just really want to make that clear. One of the things that happens is at one point they're having a discussion about what's going on in the war, and in runs a soldier to tell them that the barbarians are pouring into the city. And it's interesting how the one reacts to it, you know, it's just probably very true to what they did back in those days, I'm sure, was basically to tell them, don't say those kinds of things in public, we don't want anybody to think that way. And it's so interesting, he's not interested in saving lives as much as he's interested in preserving his rule or his, his leadership. And I got a huge kick out of that because I really thought back in reading some of the stuff having to do with these kinds of wars and things, I always thought that was a common thing, that they usually did not give up on anything. And if somebody dared come in and say something, they'd kill that person. And I saw that in your book and I was like, wow, you know, I always kind of thought that that was something that could happen back in those days and very likely did. So I really love that kind of stuff when it's in there because I got a sense of realism when you did that. It wasn't watered down by correctness. It wasn't changed in any way. It had a feeling as if we were really there. And that was something I really enjoyed about the book. You did sing things like that to make us feel like we were actually standing there observing what was happening. Well, thank you. Yeah. A lot of it has to go to the character, like Orestes. Let's face it. Even for the time, Orestes is a terrible leader. He really doesn't know what he's doing. All he cares about and all he's ever cared about is maintaining power with a vice-like grip. Mm -hmm. And if anything threatens that or if anything makes him look foolish or tarnishes that, then that is when he lashes out. And Mm -hmm. it's all about his priorities, really. That's kind of what's driving that. I mean, basically, he rules with a truncheon. And if you cross him, he will beat you with it. Mm -hmm. That is his entire modus operandi. But I get a sense he wasn't unique in that way. Well, you know, I mean, at that point with things falling apart, you know, with civilization becoming more brutish, like I said, that probably was a lot more despotic, more dictatorial. You know, I mean, a lot of people probably did. A lot of rulers did resort to that. But see, I like a story that's not reflective of exactly what's going on today. I like to be put into other circumstances. And I think you did a beautiful job of transporting us back into this time and showing us what living at that point was probably pretty much like. And I love that whole business about that. Now, the interesting thing, too, about the first volume, we don't see Amiculus more than a time or two. Mm -hmm. We're setting up the stage for what he's going to be doing, like in volume two, and then in in the current volume that you're working on, volume three. So I I like the fact that the story drew me in so much, that all of a sudden I realized, whoa, there's Amiculus. You know, he shows up at a certain point, and I got a huge kick out of it because I was so engrossed by the story that even though the main character wasn't necessarily appearing all the time, when he does show up, it has a big impact. And I thought in the (laughs) first volume, that was particularly strong. And I love that so much about the first volume, so I wanted to make sure that I told you about that. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Another thing you did, too, is you divided them up into chapters, which Mm -hmm. is a good thing. Were they individually out, or have you always done these in sort of a trade paperback format? Well, I initially wanted to publish this as a single book, Mm 
the costs of that were very prohibitive. Mm. So that's what made me decide to divide it up into three parts. That was the way it seemed to divide up the best, Mm -hmm. if not in a single book. Mm -hmm. And that was also a much more cost-effective way, at least to fund it. Anyway, and the first chapter, actually, the first 20 pages of the book serves well as a standalone comic. And that's what I initially used as a preview. I mean, I gave that out as a preview. I tried to kickstart this volume one in 2013, and the Kickstarter was not successful because I didn't really know what I was doing at that point. Ah. And I spent the next year basically drumming up support for it with a preview. I paid out of my own pocket to produce the first 20 pages of the book as its own standalone book. Mm-hmm as a preview for the series. And that really helped to make the next year when I did the first volume, it succeeded. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, if you want to get that part, and I notice it's on your website, why don't you give the name of your website while we're talking about it? And the fact you can download this very first chapter from your website. Yes, that's correct. My website is www.amiculousrome, and that's spelled A-M-I-C-U-L-U-S-R-O-M-E.com. MiculousRome.com, and you can download and get a digital copy of the first 20 pages for free from my website. Yeah, which is great. That's a great thing to do. I I agree with you. That's a great way to draw people into the story. So you did Volume 1, and you got your successful Kickstarter done, which is wonderful stuff. Then you moved on to Volume 2. Volume 2 seems to be a slightly thicker volume than the first volume. Did you let the story dictate the number of pages? Is that what happened? Why Volume 2 seems to be a little thicker than Volume 1? Yes, it definitely broke out that way. Volume 1 is actually the shortest of the three. I think Volume 3 is going to be about the same length as Volume 2. It really is the way the story broke down. Okay, that's right. Well, you know, you're not the first person to do that. The Harry Potter books, if you buy the very first Harry Potter book, it's like 200 pages. You get to the last one, it's like 800, 900 pages. As time went along, she kind of added more to it, the author did. So the second book is a lot of interesting things happens in here, too. There's a, a framing sequence in that first book in which we have a, a person that is not involved in a lot of the stuff later on, but he's kind of in that... Well, he does come out. It's, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce it. Procopius of Caesarea? Is that yes, how it, Procopius, yes. Okay, that's good. He's involved with that, and he actually has a little more to do in the second volume. We see that... And there's even a... Uh, let's just say that somebody is... Rule is threatened, and he takes the uh, an easier way out rather than being killed which I got a kick out of. And and there's all kinds of wonderful stories that are taking place in this. And we get to understand Romulus a bit more. We get to understand he, Prosepius goes to this uh, monastery, and that's where all the secret history stuff is basically contained. Mm-hmm. And we learn a lot about the whole thing. It's a great setup for Volume 3, Volume 2 is, because there's all these things happening, and we start to see how Rome is falling. Everything's just falling all around them. And even though they're doing their very best sometimes to keep it together, they're just not able to hold back the barbarian hordes that are out at their doorstep. I, I, when you get to the end of Volume 2, that's where all this one thing I was talking about takes place. And you get a strong sense that now things are going to be very different moving forward. And, of course, Amiculus is place we see him a lot more in the second book than we did in the first. My mm-hmm. And now, of course, the third book, the Kickstarter is going on. You're going to explain more about Amiculus and about this whole thing as we get into the third book? Yes. The third book is when all the secrets get laid out. That's when the reveal is going to happen. And it's going to be a big one. 
I mean, in fact, there are multiple reveals. Like you said, there's a framing device with Procopius, and then there's the actual fall of Rome, and uh, both of them end up getting the surprise of their lives. Mm. Procopius, by the way, was a real historical figure. He wrote the secret history about Justinian and Theodora, the emperors of the East. And that's kind of why I put him in there, was to make him sort of the custodian of the real history and the gatekeeper of that versus what was speculative. Wow, that's just an amazing thing about it. I love the whole thing. I get drawn right into it. The whole business about secrets, of course, is a very enticing thing. And the whole business about the war and what was happening, you know, knowing the history makes us... It's like an auto accident in some ways. You know, you can't take your eyes off of it. You know it's going to happen, but how it happens and what actually takes place during it is sometimes so engrossing you can't take your eyes away from it. That's the way I feel about these books. I can't take my eyes away from it. I know that what's going to happen is the Roman Empire is going to basically collapse, but how it happens is going to be as interesting, if not more so, than the fact that it does take place. So I'm really excited about the third book. I can't wait to see the third volume. Oh, thank you. How many pages are going to be in the third volume? Has that all been planned out now? Yes. Like I said, that one is going to be roughly the same length as volume two. Volume one was 64 pages, volume two is 80 pages, and volume three is going to be right around 80 pages as well. Wow, that's great. Now, as far as production goes, how far are you guys in creating volume three? So far, volume three, very little of volume three has actually been drawn. I mean, the script is done for all three, mm-hmm. but the pages, only five pages so far have been drawn for volume three. And that's part of what we're trying to kickstart, actually, is the art production, not just the art, but the coloring, the lettering, mm-hmm. the graphics, the printing, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, of course, that's Kickstarters for. That's how you do these things. If you don't have a DC Comics or Marvel Comics budget, you get to approach other fans and ask them to participate in the project. And this is why I'm a big fan of Kickstarter. I love to see projects like this come to be because there's no way in the world you'd get DC or Marvel to pick up something like this. You don't have superheroes in that sense. And you talked about mythological characters being more superheroic. But there's no way in the world that big comic company would pick it up. And yet it's something so worth reading. You know, it's something that we really should enjoy and dive into and get the chance to experience. And so for me, I, I just have to say, I think you've done a wonderful job of bringing this forward and making this thing happen. And that's why I really think that we should support the Kickstarter. And I guess if you go to kickstarter.com, the thing to do is look up Amiculous Trilogy. And you'll probably see the other two come up, maybe the other one too, the third one. But you'll see the most recent one that's going on now. And so I did want to also mention to you, you have one of the very best, I don't know what you, how you call it. There's like a video on there that you put together. That trailer? Is, yeah, the trailer that is so wonderful. It, uh, of course, you're an actor too, I learned as I was reading about you. Yeah. And that probably played into making this wonderful thing come to pass. At the beginning of this interview, I'm going to run the audio of that. So I, I really want people to know it. this is one of the best ones I've ever seen because I've seen some. and I've actually worked on a Kickstarter in the past. And when I look at these things, I kind of look like, wow, you, you, really, <laughs> you really invested a lot of time and effort in making this thing really fly because it's really wonderful. Thank you. I am fortunate in that one of my graphic designers for the book is also a filmmaker. <sighs> so I wrote the script for the trailer and I pulled together all the voice talent and uh, made the recordings and got the pages and I sent those to him. And uh, he put them together. 
he's done this for me three times now. There are three trailers, one for each book, mm-hmm. and he's done every single one of them, and he has really put his trademark finesse on these. Mm-hmm. He, he's a wonderful filmmaker. His name is Will Graver, by the way, mm-hmm. and he is a very, very, very talented videographer and graphic artist. Wow. I haven't looked at the other ones. Now, when we get done here, our first thing I'm going to do is go look at the other ones and see how well they went. Man, it really was eye-catching, and it's just eye-popping. The stuff that I've worked on, I'm going to wish I could get half as good as those because they're really good, really, really sparkle. So really good thing. So volume three now is in process, and we're going to talk optimistically. You'll definitely get this done, that by October 15th at midnight, you'll have these things together, and the money will start coming your way so you can finish the book. Um, Absolutely. Do you have a planned date for when this book is going to be finished? We are looking at a print and ship date, not a specific like day, but we're looking at June of 2017. It typically takes about eight to nine months to put together all of the art and graphics and everything for the book and get it to print and back. But we're looking June of 2017. Okay. So that's pretty good. That's, that gives him some time to put. That's a lot of pages, of course, to develop the artwork. So he needs a little time to do that. And, of course, the coloring and the lettering and all these good things and the assembling of things has to take place. So all that will be good. So that, that's a pretty good schedule, I think, as far as things go. Now, if people want to get, let's say they don't have volumes one or two. Obviously, the Kickstarter is a main way to do that. You can get those as benefits. If you pledge, you probably get certain numbers. Can you get those if you pledge? Yes, there are options to receive all three volumes. But if you just want one or two of them, if you're missing volume one or volume two, they are also available to purchase through my website. I have a platform on Amazon, which volume one and volume two are both available on. And the link is on the landing page of my website as well. Oh, very cool. Now, is this available digitally, like Comixology kind of stuff? Have you put them out there? I have uh, – wow. I I mean I would love to get my stuff on Comixology. At this point, it's just a matter of arranging – organizing myself to do it this has been a pretty hefty undertaking largely most of the organizing part of it most of the management of it has been me it can take a long time to get things on comicsology as well but i haven't gotten around to that point volume one is available on e-reader at this point you can also buy that on amazon and of course the one you download the first chapter is a digital version as well so you can get these things and start to look at them in digital format yes which a lot of people do these days. So it, it's kind of an interesting thing. But uh, you know, if the, if the project gets far enough along and you want to make them available on Comixology, I'd recommend that because there are some people who on their iPad, they say the color looks so much better on the screen than it does mm-hmm. on a paper. And mm-hmm. so there are going to be some people who just want to see it on the screen. And you know, something to add to your many to-dos. <laughs> to do with the yeah. book there unfortunately so well it's a okay. great trilogy you know, I've read one and two and I can't wait for three to hit and I'm going to have to write a review when that comes out when when we get that awesome. book so I can write that on, on Majorspoilers.com because <laughs> it's a wonderful thing I love learning things in comics and this is one of those books when I came away knowing much more than I did when I started about especially about the subject and so I have to congratulate you on putting a really great, strong story together and a strong thing that not only involves us in history, but teaches us things while not being dull. It's a wonderful Thank thing, you. quite an accomplishment for a historical story like that. Thank you so much. So uh, now that, let's just say that this comes to fruition. Do you have other plans for other projects in the future that we should be aware of? 
Well, I mean, I may take a bit of a break. I mean, if I get this done, not if, when I get this done, I do have other things that I want to do with the character. There is kind of a, a prequel volume that's a standalone prequel volume that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And there's the possibility of another additional series with the character. Hmm. Like I said, a lot of my ideas originate from history and particularly classical history. So many of my projects in the future have that sort of theme to them. But those are the two definite ones that would be coming following the completion of the Amiculous Trilogy. Very cool. Now, the word Amiculous has a meaning to it. Why don't you tell people what the word means? Well, Amiculous means little friend or dear friend. The word for friend in Latin is Amicus. And if you add U.S. or L-U-S. or L-A. on the end of a word, it miniaturizes it, kind of like if you take the name Catherine and you call someone Kathy, it's a diminutive. And amiculus, like I said, amiculus literally means dear friend or little friend. And that, of course, will have something to do with when we find out more about him in the third volume. I'm looking forward to finding out all these things. One of the great things I also feel about the book is that you can tell that it's planned out in advance. Some books you pick up and you just sort of feel like you're stumbling along and but with yours, I've got this feeling that you know where we're going and you, we're very determinedly getting there. And oh, yeah. so I like that. So that, that is a very strong recommendation for your book, I think, too. Good reading and do that. Make that happen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, keep it up, Travis. And I look forward to maybe hopefully getting to talk with you again in the future with your other projects. And much success as far as the Kickstarter goes and getting Volume 3 out. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks so much. I am, too. Thanks. need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And that's it for episode 248. In two weeks, landmark episode 250 will be presented with at least one special guest. But until next week, keep reading your comics.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.